I've been doing this long enough that I'm not just gonna take the word of somebody who shows up in my cabin and says he's future me. Your first pony was named Sir Nasalot. He broke his leg in a rainstorm. Your parents had to put him down, and you cried for a week. You ever tell anybody that? It's hard when your tragic backstory starts with my silly name. Sorry. Look, I'm here because that letter you're about to write is going to wreck the future. Strange new takes. I'm your host, Notch Garnig, and with me back for this show, but being played by a new actor is. <laughs> just good old me, Rudy Kusbaker. Uh, so it's just gonna be the two of us today, which I'm looking forward to. Uh, not like I have anything against the rest, but we'll see how this goes. <laughs> yeah, good! They're not here! They're it's not just here. us! <laughs> Yeah, uh, <laughs> the family. <laughs> it is, it is. This is becoming kind of a family show. We've got the uh, Adam and Emily Bowen show. Uh, and now we've got the two of us who are also related. And uh, Bill's just going to find his, uh, his family member to join the show so they can have a one-on-one. That's funny. That's funny. <laughs> well, let me welcome our listeners uh, to Strange New Takes. Um, today, we are covering the 10th and final episode of the first season of Strange New Worlds, titled A Quality of Mercy. An interesting episode. Follow us on social media at Strange New Takes on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. Tell your friends about our podcast. We always love getting Strange New listeners, and you can be very helpful to us in that by recommending us. And by going on Apple Podcasts or your other favorite podcast websites and giving us a five-star rating and review. Uh, Doing that helps us appear a little bit higher in podcast search lists when someone types in Star Trek Podcasts. And to close out housekeeping items, uh, just a friendly spoiler warning. We will spoil, obviously, this episode, um, the rest of uh, the season and the series, possibly other Star Trek uh, series. I think in this case, we will definitely spoil other Star Trek series and general sci-fi lore and, uh, yeah, um, maybe general media. One thing, as always, we have not been able to spoil, but we'll keep trying, is reality. <laughs> you give them a friendly spoiler warning, I have the unfriendly spoiler warning. You better not get spoiled. <laughs> this is Anyway, wow. well, as as Rudy said, we are talking today about the 10th episode of Strange New Worlds. It's called A Quality of Mercy. It first aired on 7th July 2022. It's written by Henry Alonso Myers and Akiva Goldsman. What? Akiva Goldsman's mm-hmm. back. Pretty cool. Anyway, directed by Chris Fisher. Uh, the Indian Universe date is 2259 and 2266. And as I have now deeply ingrained to the point that even Adam says it, the star dates do not matter on this show. Here's the episode summary from Memory Alpha. In the episode one finale, just as... Not... <laughs> I read that wrong. Wow. It's like on the page in front of me and I read it wrong. In the season one finale, just as Captain Pike thinks he's figured out how to escape his fate, he's visited by his future self who shows him the consequences of his actions. We always start our episodes with our strange new takes. Rudy, do you have a strange new take for me? 
I may have a small one. Um, so it was good to see the name Salah in this episode. Mm-hmm. Um, it takes me back to <laughs> a soccer team I follow and and this particular player that who is um, you know a celebrity of sorts, a great player, um, a great man, I think. Um, and yeah, good to see. Maybe maybe this Salah family is the is the. You know, great, great, great descendants of one uh, footballer, <laughs> soccer player by the name of Mohamed Salah. Um, and yeah, so that's a connect. I think I think that's about it, right? I don't have any other uh, strange new takes. I'm looking forward to getting into the episode. So I'll, I'll hand it over to you, Nach. All right, all right. Um, this episode title took me back to seventh grade English class where we had to literally memorize, literally memorize the entirety of The Merchant of Venice. Actually, no, I think we got like an extract in seventh grade and we had to memorize it for the ninth grade. Uh, so definitely, you know, Shylock's uh, speech. If you prick us, do we not bleed? If you tickle us, do we not laugh? If you poison us, do we not die? And if you wrong us, shall we not revenge? Classic, classic stuff, man. Uh, I'm always fascinated by the Bard, uh, the plays of the Bard, uh, as you'll hear from other theater people. Uh, anyway, it was it was a fun it was a fun return to that because if you do not know, a quality of mercy is a quote from the Merchant of Venice. Rudy, do you know which character uses it? Um, the only character I remember was Shylock, and and you just mentioned him, so I I don't know. Um, go ahead. Well, since we don't have our co-host, and since you didn't have a very long, strange take, I feel like I can like expound on mine a little bit. So first of all, <laughs> let me just r- give a shout out to one of my English teachers whose name I've not forgotten, who used to say Antonio and Basanio instead of Basanio. <laughs> this is a cat. <laughs> Basanio. <laughs> anyway, uh, Antonio's love interest is Portia, and she dresses as a man to be the lawyer and begs ah, Shylock yes. to show mercy to Antonio. So she says, The quality of mercy is not strained. It droppeth as the gentle rain from heaven upon the place beneath. It is twice blessed. It is it blesseth him that gives and him that takes. Tis mightiest in the mightiest. It becomes the throned monarch better than his crown. And then it keeps going on from there. Uh, beautiful, beautiful uh, language there, you know, and and it's one of those uh, passages that's like in understandable English, so you don't need to have a reference guide on the right hand side to be like the quality of mercy. What does that mean? Uh, and then you go to the reference, and it's like the opposite. Have you seen that with like Shakespeare in English, where it's like it'll say like this is one, and then you go to the reference. Actually, Shakespeare meant this is three hundred because in old English, <laughs> one meant a hundred, and like it's you know. Maybe I forgot that, or maybe I knew that. Maybe I forgot it because it was nonsensical. But thank you for reminding me. Uh, and for our listeners, um, you you would not be able to see this, but uh, Notch did gesture very um, actor like, stage like while going through those lines. I I could almost imagine a Venetian cape and whatever you call that a hat the, and the, the floppy and... hat. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> no, it's a. Uh... You know how uh, how Leonard Nimoy says censors. I say I'm an actor. Uh, okay. Mm. Anyway, uh, let's let's uh, let's let's go from there. I think that counts as strange to take both for life and for uh, Star Trek. So let's let's ju- dive into this episode. Before we start recording, Rudy, you were like, "I'm glad that we could talk about this episode together because I have deep interests 
in in what it showed. So so why were you so excited to talk about this? Yeah, and I won't go into too much detail now, uh, but we can touch on it at different times in the conversation. Um, it I, I I've seen this episode most recently a few years ago. I've probably seen Balance it once of Terror. before. Yes, yes, not this one. Okay, okay. Um, so 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 just just for just for listeners who did yes. not pick up on this, this episode shows a redone version or or a alternate universe version of the TOS episode of Balance of Terror, which is the first episode to feature the Romulans. Um it's it's a classic. It features Mark Leonard who later played Sarek as a as the Romulan uh commander and it's basically very similar to like submarine warfare in my opinion like it, they literally have a section of balance of terror where everyone's quiet and talking in whispers because <laughs> apparently you can send sound waves through space it, it, it's it's so it's so it's so representative that you even have the silly mistake where somebody trips on something or turns on something and a noise happens and everybody's like oh it's okay Okay. I'm pretty sure that's how they actually like detect the ship at one point is that there's a noise. Yeah, yeah. So I'd seen, yeah, thank you for clarifying. I had seen Balance of Terror a few years ago, uh, most recently, and then maybe once while I was growing up. And it did remind me of of, of um, a military game, a cat and mouse, specifically submarine warfare. Um, and we did come across that a little bit earlier in the same um in the same season with the gorn episode and the nebula yeah. or whatever right uh, or the the uh, whatever the dust particles surrounding a binary star system so they're touching on it multiple times so maybe there is a writer who likes that kind of stuff um or more than one um so that's that's the part that interests me um and and more so the part about how um certain certain people like fate and destiny is thrust upon them um and it happens and it has happened in the real world as well we don't we don't even know half the times or more than half the times and and they take decisions that you know help us all um mm -hmm. uh, prevent us from getting into cataclysmic wars and so maybe a little homage to people like that um that's actually the part that i was a little more interested in the submarine warfare side is great as well um but yeah that's that's why this episode excited me i am just a tiny bit annoyed given how much they referenced the movie alien or the alien franchise last week i was expecting at least at some <laughs> point someone to go one ping only uh and give us a Please. hunt for Red October <laughs> hunt for Red October reference, uh, but we didn't get that. Well, uh, I, I don't know what you did, Rudy, but I actually, when I realized what was happening, I stopped the episode, went back and watched Balance of Terror, which I don't know if I should reveal this because it might annoy some of our listeners and definitely will annoy Bill, but I actually fell asleep while watching Balance of Terror, like... <laughs> In my defense, it had been like a very bad, I was suffering from COVID. It had been a bad night the previous night. Like I was, I was sleeping for other reasons, but fell asleep, woke up, had to rewind like 20 minutes of Balance of Terror to the point that I remembered watching and then started again, finished Balance of Terror. And then I went <laughs> back and finished A Quality of Mercy after that. Well, well imagine if you were, uh, I don't know what they call it, uh, comms or signals or sonographic officer on a submarine <laughs> I asleep I, I, they put me in a torpedo tube and fire me at the <laughs> enemy basically for falling asleep on watch 
But to your defense, right? Like, at least for me, when I go to watch TOS, right? I'm not just switching TOS on to say, hey, let's just see what's on and maybe it'll interest me. And, and if I like it, I'll keep watching it. Otherwise, I won't. I kind of mentally prepare myself that this is something, you know, for 40, 50 years in the past. Um, so I'm, I'm kind of, I'm conditioned to watch it. I'm not like, you know, as you said, half asleep or just kind of trying things out. And so maybe that's different in your case because you stopped and went back. Um, I actually figured out that this was that episode right when they, um, when they went ahead and set out post four. Um, yeah, oh, I'm that good. nice. I, I, well, actually, no. I'm just making that up. I did not figure it out that okay. soon. <laughs> I was like, damn. You yeah, join like, my I'm Star not, Trek trivia team. Yeah, I generally feel I'm one of the um, yeah lesser aware in terms of trivia amongst our our, our crew here, our podcast crew. So um, I started figuring it out um, similar to you, probably even later than you, when when they um, started talking about outposts going out one after the other, um, and then the the part that really uh, triggered it for me was um, was the Spock eyebrow. Uh, I was like, yeah, I've seen that somewhere that, before. That is that is actually actually that is the point at which I stopped it. Yeah, I watched that eyebrow and I was like, okay, no, this is this is one hundred percent Balance of Terror. Yeah, so then I went back. I actually Googled, and then I then I saw there was another episode. But different from you, I went ahead and watched this episode in its entirety, and then went back and watched Balance of Terror, um, probably a little quickly. Yeah, after that. Okay, got it. And and okay, th- th- this goes to mindset. But really, I'm asking this because I I really wanted to be on last week's show and I couldn't um, podcast. <laughs> what did What did you think of the last two episodes? before this so the one with the fairy tale and the aliens episode like were you coming into this thinking wow those two were great or man those two were crap good good and and then therefore what uh what i expected of this one is was that also part of your question no i'm just or trying just to get to your mindset yeah i'm trying to get to okay. your mindset coming into this because I, I can also talk about like how i felt well why don't i do that first then you can maybe okay, tee off sure. that sure. i I actually, so both Adam and Emily didn't really enjoy the fairy tale episode. I didn't think it was like un- unbelievable, but I thought it was kind of fun and like just kind of, I was glad they got rid of Menga's daughter, to be honest. I thought that was, I, I, I thought that was like a very unnecessary plot point. So I was like, I was glad that they just tied it up and like she was gone and they don't need to worry about her anymore. Um, I thought that was, I thought it was not a great plot element to include in the first place. So so I guess it, I, I was, and then I thought last week's episode was a masterpiece. Like I, I, I would have also rated it a 10 like Emily and Adam did. So I guess I, I was coming into this with the season finale thinking, wow, this has been an incredible season of Star Trek. Wow. I don't think that they, I, I can't remember now, but I don't remember, I don't remember having any like low rated episodes in this for myself. Um, I think like, there was one that I gave like a seven and that was it. So like for me, I was really coming into this thinking like, how are they going to finish this? How can they make a season finale? Cause the last episode felt like a finale, right? Like Laan goes off and does her own thing. Hammer dies. Like it really felt like it was the end of something. So I was like, how are they going to top that? And so I was expecting something very serious. That was like, 
you know, going to be a character focused episode, maybe. Um, I was expecting a cliffhanger of some sort because um, TNG used to do that uh, with, with its episodic format. So I was expecting that. But like, I really, I was, I was very curious, st- like starting this episode, that was my prevailing thought was like, okay, how are they going to top the, like stick the landing on the last episode? Got it. Got it. Um, I'll start off by saying I had no expectations. Um, I hadn't really thought through the previous two. Um, I'll I'll also admit I'd seen the previous two um, in close uh, succession, not like one week apart, maybe a couple of days apart, or maybe even just one day apart. Um, I th- I thought they were good episodes. Uh, I didn't have that same feeling where I felt the 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 one with the alien homage was way 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 better than than the than the fairy tale one. I felt. They were both good in their own um, own selves. Uh, the fairy tale one was interesting because I remember I think it was you, me, Notch, uh, and then Max and and Dinah who had done the Voyager Beowulf episode, right? Yeah, uh, it the was. Doctor episode. So that took my my uh, took my took me back to that episode, and um, and yeah, I guess it like again, TOS was was made popular at least in my mind or when i saw it uh, growing up because it had this like you know this this confluence of sci-fi more fi and less sci and fantasy right where these all-powerful beings force the crew into these like stories and they have to act those roles so so that was a little refreshing to see uh, all these different characters play uh, these fun roles um and and so i like that episode just for that aspect um the alien episode um i i did get grossed out but but i don't i i like the alien movies um and obviously this one was an homage to the second one i think i don't know if it's called aliens or alien or whatever it is yeah um with with the little girl i think that for me is actually the best alien movie um so far in my mind um, so Emily had, I mean, I don't know if you've listened to the last episode of the podcast, but Emily had a lot of like cool references to the alien. They've, they've referred to all of the different alien movies in the oh, last in the episode. same one. Oh, yeah. Cool. Yeah. So, so uh, Emily, Emily had some really cool uh, references to share. And so I, I really, which by the way, just a quick shout out to Adam and Emily who went on the podcast at short notice after I fell sick and did a great episode. I really enjoyed listening to that one. So um just i it made me even more it made me regret not being a not being there to talk about that but anyway um you were talking about the the references and how and the alien movies yeah yeah and and now um you know i guess along with our listeners i gotta go listen to that podcast from last week uh maybe i'll i'll have a different perspective on that episode so yeah it was obviously there was um, the death of a major character um that really bothered me um my wife doesn't watch Star Trek, but she kind of passively watches on the side and, and she caught on that and it bothered her. Um, it was a big deal. Um, and yeah, I, I guess when you always take cadets out on a shuttle for something, that's never a good idea. It's like never taking transport enhancers um, and transport enhancers with you. Um, yeah, so so both were good in, in their own selves. Um, I didn't think of them as spectacular building up into some sort of a crescendo, maybe the, the way I think you explained it. Um, and so this one, 
This one was also a separate episode. Okay. Um, it was grounded in a strong connect. Um, they were trying to play with the whole, you know, obviously the whole bike, uh, guilt, fear of your future kind of thing. Uh, I have two ways to look at it. I haven't quite decided which one I'll pick, uh, but I, I'll pause now. Um, okay. One approach is, yeah, this was really good. And the other approach is like, they messed it up. Well, I, um, I think, I think your way of viewing it is really interesting to me because I think it, it brings me back to something that maybe we'll have to talk about next week. I'm, which by the way, I'm hoping next week is going to be a season recap show for Strange New Worlds. We can just come back and talk about why that, why the show is what it is. Maybe hopefully Bill can join us and tell us about his research about trying to discover why he enjoys this show so much more than other new Trek shows. But one of the th defining differences of Strange New Worlds is, is that it is episodic. And it sounds like you were treating it as such. You were viewing each episode in its own continuum. Whereas I was kind of viewing it a little bit more along this continuum. Because I, I do think that this finale was a very episodic finale. You don't deal with a lot of like what's happened in the previous episode. I don't think there were any references to Hammer dying, for example. It's like, your chief engineer died, dude. Like someone wear like a black armband or something. I don't know. <laughs> um, yeah yeah for sure but at the same time there were callbacks right like Captain Battle Melanie Scrofano came back to to play the, the captain that we saw uh, 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 Pike's hookup buddy uh, from, from the first episode there were callbacks to the Illyrian um, heritage for number one at the end there with the cliffhanger so there are some things so there's clearly a continuity it's not like Voyager or like Everything is completely forgotten in the next episode. Uh, you do have some through arcs. And I think this was also, in some ways, maybe we can get to this. Maybe we can start here. Is like, this was really, I feel like, the end of the Pike um, fear of his fate arc. Uh, which has been going on throughout the season. We've seen Pike kind of think about his future and his time in the chair as such and like all these cadets who he's going to save. And at, and at the very beginning of this episode, it starts with them finally him meeting one of the people who's going to die, like not even one of the people he saves. He's And, and that's like, I mean, that hit me like a ton of bricks. I, I, I realized that he was like meeting, like when the kid came in and all of that happened, I was like, oh, he met one of the people he's going to save. And then when he tells number one, no, this is one of the people who's going to die. Like that, I, I can't imagine myself in that position, man. Yeah, it's it's crazy, right? Um, and so one of the things you touched on is how this episode seemingly uh, tries to close out Pike's fear, guilt of the future by setting him on course um, through the next season and beyond on. Uh, on being comfortable with what happens. And that's the part... That, so I was talking about two approaches in viewing this. I think that's the part that I didn't quite like because that that fear of the future and wrestling with it episode by episode or every few episodes and, you know, whether should I affect my fate? Should I not? Should I be happy? It is so... It's so realistic, right? It's realistic in how we deal with our futures because we don't know what's going to happen. And if you look at it from a slightly more poignant view, it, it's it's what, you know, potentially terminal patients go through because they know an end right. is coming and all of that. So I thought I thought that was very unique, not just to this Star Trek, um, this this Star Trek show specifically, but 
this as a show in general media, right? Like it yeah. defined the first season of Breaking Bad. Again, a little bit of a spoiler. Somebody knows that their end is coming and they react to it. And that defines the whole season or a, couple, a season and a half or a couple of seasons. So I, I, I feel bad that if they're trying to take that away, that take that out of the equation, then I feel bad, right? Um, because I, I feel he should wrestle with it um, going forward. Uh, let's see some more Pike pain in the, in, in the next season. Um, so that's what I thought. Um, in terms I don't, of, I don't, I don't think they're getting rid of it. I think I just think it was like kind of bringing it full circle from from you know that he's wrestling with it in the first episode. So I just think it came came full circle. I don't think it's resolved by any means. Like, first of all, he's got to go through the incident, and now, by the way, we know that balance of terror, like the TOS stuff, happens. In seven years. So the, the Strange New Worlds can't go beyond seven years of its like own timeline, right? Maybe they can like uh, like elongate it so that we get more than seven seasons, which I really hope we do. But that's the 14th episode of the first season of TOS. So that's seven years from now. So we don't have a ton of time for Pike to like prepare or to ignore his future. It's coming at him and now he knows so like I I think you're gonna get what you want, and we're gonna get continue to have this because I think I do think you're absolutely right that this tragic fate of our captain is one of the most compelling things about this show because you're just sitting there being like you don't I don't want this for him I don't want this for him. Um, this episode also, by the way, gives us answers one of the big open questions I think from TOS, which is. Why does Spock in the Menagerie help Pike? Like in the Menagerie, Spock is basically, Pike asks him to do this thing and Spock like risks his career to help Pike. So why does he do that? And we find out at the end of this episode why it is. Because Spock's life was saved by Pike, allowing the future to unfold as it would. So Spock feels obligated. Um, But yeah, so I, I... and I keep, I mean, we'll, we'll talk about this next week, I guess, but I keep coming back to this thing about Pike. And when I saw him come onto the ship in those red uniforms, which by the way, I didn't know the internet called them, mo- calls them monster maroons. I think that's a terrible fucking name. Uh, <laughs> to just call them the maroon uniforms or something. Anyway, um, which are one of my favorites, by the way, I really love those Tio Wrath of Kana uniforms. When I saw Pike come on, I was like, oh my God, he escapes his fate. Maybe afterwards they save him and get him out of the chair or something. Like, something happened. Marjolans come and, like, save him. I don't know. Uh, And I was really crushed to hear that that was actually the alternate history where where things are really bad because of him. And that that is not, like, what's actually going to happen. Yeah. um, And so, for me, it was at at the point in time when you realize that, okay there is something that you're doing, right? Butterfly effect or whatever that, that's going to change the future much more negatively than than um, anybody wants. Um, what is that? What What is or what are those pivot points or characters, right? Um, mm-hmm. and, and the rest of the episode for me, um, uh, as beyond the point of which Spike meets his, his future alternate self, is what is he going to see and what is he going to do or what is he going to stop or not do that basically affects others, right? And and I, I play that. It was, I think, it was a little stressful, but it was fun as well to play that guessing game throughout the rest of the episode. 
and as yeah. they introduced, you know, uh, huge characters, right? Um, mm-hmm. one after the other. Um, that that was uh, that's what that's what appealed to me in the episode. You didn't uh, chafe against the whole bike tra- tra- traveling through time to send a message to his old self. Well, I always chafe at time travel paradoxes, and and you're in the and... Vulcan science directorate. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, that's another thing, right? Like. Um, uh, Spock, uh, alternate Spock, and even prime timeline Spock are both pretty cool with alternate timelines and future changes and all of that. So I guess at least they've come to terms with it, if not the the directorate. Um, I mean, the call out here for looping looping time is always that, hey, there's always another you that has gone through suffering before you to help you out. Um, but yep. that other you also had somebody helping them out. Um, so... When is when does this happen for the first time, right? Which poor soul has to go through this for the first time, and yeah. and then not and and have to like try it out, right? So, um, some you know, pardon the pun, some loopholes there, maybe some paradoxes, um, so I I just compartmentalize that and and for me the excitement was I guess I get to watch Balance of Terror Terror from a different perspective, and it yeah. was a fun episode, and then you can talk and. So it's it's taking it's taking temporal, um, you know, a temporal plot where like certain things can change if you do small things, and fusing that with like submarine warfare, military warfare, so let's see where it goes. So that was that was interesting for me. That kept I, me excited I, throughout. I I I also you know timey wimey is timey wimey, but like I. I liked how they also made it so that it was the Klingons who sent Pike back who were like. They're, they were annoyed at what had happened to the timeline. So they were like, we've got to send you back to like fix the past because the Empire is in terrible shape. And instead, they might come back and like kill you <laughs> instead. Yeah. And so I was, I was curious about that. Like in the, in the, what do you call the maroon? What a maroon, what's the uniform called? Uh, I was calling it red suit bike, but there's a better name for it. Apparently maroon what? Monster maroons. I dislike uh, the monster maroons. All right, so we're going to call him Monster Maroon Pike. So when did Monster Maroon Pike, like, did the Klingon just go to him and say, dude, you messed up here, go back and fix it? Or did he feel like, oh, my God, the war is going terribly? And, like, he went to the Klingons and then he decided, and they gave him a way to go back and they're, like, glad you came to us or we were going to go kill your other self. Um, so th- those parts weren't really answered. He just he just showed up. And, and then, I yeah, I just compartmentalized all of that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, let's let's move on to talking about balance of terror. I don't want to get hung up on the inconsequential pieces of this episode. The it opens up with the wedding, which I'll only flag for one reason. Star Trek did its annoying thing again. They cast, by the way, so so the so the the two people getting married. They have names uh, from Balance of Terror. Uh, their their names are a- Angela Martine. And she's marrying an officer named, let's see, Robert Tomlinson. Angela Martine in this episode, played by Megha Sandhu, former Miss International Canada. Uh, I don't know if she's related to Gia Sandhu, who plays to pray. Um, <laughs> genuinely, I don't know the answer to that question. I tried looking and there was no detail, so maybe not. But still, they did the thing where they cast a South, South Asian actress or at least one of South Asian heritage with like a weird like Western name instead of giving us like at some point. Uh, and so, of course, yeah. 
just to interrupt so those names held in in a, in this episode quality mercy as well like they're in they're yeah, in presumably the cast. presumably and this is this because is I, me i'm i'm joking around a little bit obviously cuz you know they nobody says their names in this episode so like it could be anybody yeah but. because i i took it as them just sort of like in, infusing diversity right like the 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 outpost for commander was completely changed up as well right like yeah and this uh, is something so. that strange new worlds has said before they they are doing race neutral casting for the most part so like chief kyle for example the transporter chief he's in tos as a white male and now he's asian and in, in strange new worlds so they've definitely for some of the smaller characters like just decided to do whatever they want to do which whatever i don't really have an opinion on that one way or another i think it's pretty inconsequential in the grand scheme of things so um as long as they're getting talented actors i don't care which brings us to discussing i guess the first big piece of the whole balance of terror replay which is that instead of kirk being in charge of the enterprise in 7 years if he survives the accident it's still pike and pike therefore has also maintained his crew so we have mabenga instead of um leonard mccoy spock is still around of course but uh ortegas is in the uh navigator's chair instead of um uh is it styles i think yes uh, it's styles. lieutenant styles and uh obviously sulu isn't there uh we we have the other asian actress who is also who's been in a few other episodes of um Strange New Worlds, whose name I'm now looking for. Uh, I don't recall either. Apologies. Uh, I think her name, if I'm not mistaken. Yep, Rong Fu. So the actress's name Rong Fu, and she's playing a, a character named Jenna Mitchell. Um, she was one of the the Queen's guards in the in the fantasy episode, and she's she's been. Oh yeah. Uh yeah, so she's also been in a couple of other episodes of Strange New Worlds as well. as a member of the bridge crew but anyway pike so pike has this bridge crew instead of kirk's bridge crew although apparently scotty is on the vessel seen unseen but uh with a terrible scottish accent as usual um so but scotty's on on the yeah. enterprise or does he get sent over from the farragut after it gets like i didn't quite figure that out I don't know for sure. I don't think we really find out for sure, but but he's he's on the vessel when Scott has, uh, when uh, Spock has to go fix the uh uh phasers, which instead of there being a little grate on the bridge <laughs> to fix exactly. fix the phasers, Spock has to go down to the to some Jeffries too. Um but but the 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 big reveal then is that the Farragut beams in and James T Kirk is there. and we have pike meeting james t kirk james t kirk played by paul wesley and i guess i wanted to get your impressions of our new kirk yeah yeah um i'll just uh, summarize uh, first up by saying um i liked it uh it was interesting um is a uh, lean mean uh kirk um looks intellectual i don't mean that in any any way to indicate that william shatner never looked intellectual in his chair uh i don't know there's something about um slightly leaner uh captains sitting well on that captain's chair with uh, i forget uh, her name jessie kaitel right um yeah. and how they position themselves it, it looks kind of nice so i saw that here as well um and i don't know much about the actor i believe 
claim to fame was through Vampire Diaries. Uh, Correct. I forget the actor's name. Um, and and it's it's exciting. Um, it's it, it. I guess it sets us up for a potentially more calculating and intellectual quirk. Not to say that the previous one wasn't, but they never really uh, peel the layers of the onion on that and show us how he thinks. Here, it's it's much more. Um, there's a rationale to to his thought process and to his to his um to his punk i guess to his uh, his his demeanor so good good excited and looking forward to seeing that more so number 1 uh, i don't think it's an epi- issue with this episode because but pike and kirk haven't met in the past in the in the prime timeline according to whatever um piece of canon there is so that obviously pike might have been an alternate timeline here but i hope that they don't stick to that uh and they like because if they apparently that he's going to be back next season and i think it would be incredibly stupid if like they have him in strange new worlds but like pike and him don't conveniently never meet like it's it would be very dumb especially if pike is serving with his brother um i think the other thing that i'll say is um, I will confess to being quite unimpressed with Paul Wesley's performance as Kirk. I think Aww. he played. I think he played a decent Starfleet captain. I just don't think he played James T. Kirk. And I'm not saying that I wanted him to speak like this and be like Captain Pike. You cannot be serious. Uh, I didn't. I didn't need him to like do that or come in and say sabotage. But. Um, <laughs> <laughs> you gotta got admit that has appeal though right like the sabotage <laughs> it does it does and we have I mean we've got full sensors already so so it could but anyway I don't I don't need Paul Wesley to do that but it just he didn't have any of the like he wasn't compelling and maybe it's because he's not the main character in this episode and anybody who stands in Anson Mount sh- shadow is going to come off as less charismatic, but he didn't, he didn't have the gravitas that I expected Kirk to have. Like I, I don't know if it was intentional because they, they wanted Pike to remain the main, main character. So they wanted to have Kirk appear more subdued and kind of calm, but he just, like I said, he he was. I thought it was a great Starfleet captain. I just didn't think it was James T. Kirk. Uh, Got it. Um, and if I may ask, is it because you are sort of comparing him with TOS Kirk and two thousand nine Kirk, who are kind of really out there in different ways, but but very impulsive, um, very unsure but sure at the same time. You know, people are more lore, pe- people that make history and and. Sorry to make a really terrible comparison because maybe you'll great run as well, but essentially like Maverick of Top Gun, right? Like yeah, hundred percent, hundred percent. We were we were not seeing. I don't know. It's it just hard for me to see this Kirk doing the things that we see Kirk doing in other shows. Like this is this is not. I don't. He he just didn't have that kind of gravity in his presence um like people were like not like he, he didn't draw me in and that's a very special quality that's kind of rare and which is what makes anson mount such a compelling pike i think is that he has it in spades like honestly you could have anson mount playing kirk and it'd be perfect right like we've all talked about how pike is such a perfect kind of 
captain. But um, yeah, so so I, I will confess that that I think fell flat for me a little bit. Um, but once I was able to compartmentalize and be like, okay, this is just a different captain. We can't like compare that with our Kirk. That was, I, I made sense of it. Um, one other thing that I'll throw out here while we're talking about captain characteristics, Pike says that like every Star Trek captain has their qualities. Um, like for example, I, I, I don't remember his exact quote, but basically he was like, Kirk was charismatic, Picard was intellectual, and he thinks Pike has his compelling qualities heart. Um, and I really like that. Uh, and I think he's, he's been playing it very well. Like Pike does come across as one of the most like, you know, I mean, he's, he's the kind of paternal fatherly character. Like he cares about his crew and that seems to be one of the most compelling qualities he brings to the screen. Mm. Yeah, yeah. And, and and going back to like uh, maybe giving you some hope as well in terms of how Kirk develops, this Kirk develops is firstly, that was alternate timeline Kirk from seven years in the future. Um, secondly, um, yeah, there are seven years for Kirk to develop right, into Kirk, mm -hmm. then commanding the Enterprise. So uh, maybe this Kirk slowly becomes like that Kirk, although it's kind of hard for somebody to go from being rational and logical to impulsive, right? Usually people go the other way around, right? And right. They, they, they burn impulsive and then they learn uh, from the burn and, and they become a little more rational and logical. Um, I, I agree with you, uh, though I choose to disagree in how this is... Um, not the Kirk we want. I just feel it's it's interesting to see how Kirk can be a rational person and and there's just a different dimension to seeing that in, in, in you some people see it as being impulsive, but if you really if you really look behind somebody's thought processes and decisions, right? Uh, they are essentially rational logical people. It's going back to again, connecting with Top Gun, um, the people who go to weapons and tactics schools are not hot shots, right? They're mm -hmm. basically just um, fly, flying nerds is what I think one of the admirals said. So maybe this is what Kirk is. He's, he's just another nerd um, that comes across as impulsive, at least in this, in this version of Kirk. Got it. Got it. Yeah. I, um, I think I generally generally can see what you're saying there. So let's let's see how how it plays out next season too. Um, just one final point before we go to the break. I hope this series doesn't stick so closely with canon. And I I don't know. This episode at times gave me a few vibes about them like sticking very closely to canon. For example, that they could get a feed from the bridge of the Romulan ship, <laughs> and. Uh, that that's how they were able to tell what they look like. And, you know, also the fact that nobody knows what the Romulans look like still. It's, I don't know. I, I, I guess you can't really cut Balance of Terror out from the canon. It's too, it's too popular, too compelling an episode to be like, oh yeah, Spock was just mistaken. The entire Enterprise crew was just <laughs> wrong. <laughs> so. Yeah, I mean, there's two ways to do it again, right? There's the 2009 way of saying, eh, let's do it differently. <laughs> Right. And then there's you can make small changes, you can make big changes. I think this episode intentionally took very great care to pay homage to a large number of things from from a balance of terror. Um, again, I don't know if this is factual. I haven't checked it up, but my wife caught the fact that um, caught caught that 
Uhura was wearing the same green earring. So I think they went down to that level of detail, maybe. Oh, really? Yeah, I, I never got it. I haven't validated it. Um, obviously, the wedding, um, the the transmission with the commander of Outpost 4, where they're saying, can you see it? Can you see it? Fantastic power. They both say fantastic power. Yeah. Um, um, also, is a little more aware. He at least knows where the view screen is. The previous guy, Hansen, was looking in the opposite direction for the first five seconds, I think. <laughs> um, he was, so, yeah. yeah. <laughs> so, so... So, and then obviously the Romulan ship, the shape and all that held. Um, though I will say that the, the TOS um, Romulan captain or commander was, was, was much better than, than this one. Uh, this one was nice. He was down to earth. He kind of looked like the Th- Thermians from Galaxy Quest. <laughs> <laughs> I wasn't going to say it, but you did. <laughs> That's good. <laughs> you really did. Um, they're very similar earrings, but they're not quite the same for Hura. Okay, but there you go. I, I, I was really hoping that they would get James Frain, who played um, uh, Sarek in Discovery, to come play this Romulan. Like, I would have really, really liked that to have to have that kind of uh, continuity to have the same actor who played Sarek in both series to play play the Romulan here, but we didn't get that. Um, let's take a break here. We'll come back and talk of more about equality of mercy. You deliberated, and we lost. We fired, Captain, and we were fired upon. That's why you're still here. From the start, you wanted to cripple them, not take them out. We may have different points of view, but do not question my combat readiness, Captain. I'm saying caution means you're not going to put everything you have into the punch. And that's a good way to lose, because your enemy will see that and act accordingly. All this because of a second's delay. Tell me I'm wrong, Captain, and I will back down. If you're saying you're more willing to take risks than I am, I don't disagree. And let me remind you that you're saying that on my ship after yours has been destroyed. Welcome back to Strange New Takes, where we are talking about conversation styles on the podcast and uh, how the two of us are going on monologues. I literally monologued earlier when I was reading Merchant of Venice monologues, so... (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> so I think I think you're you're welcome to monologue as much as you want, Rudy. Well, okay, let's get into it. We've talked for forty minutes about stuff that doesn't have anything to do with Balance of Terror. Let's let's like really jump in. Number one, the visual style of this episode was very close to Balance of Terror as well. They went with the same types of lighting where the the eyes were lit with spotlights mm. more than the rest of the face. So everything is very similar to to Balance of Terror. I guess so, and I guess it's more for in ship in ship um shots or in ship uh, scenes. Um, I will say that I really like the the external uh shots in terms of, um, you know, obviously that's where technology shows right forty fifty years of difference in 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 production. Um, I I liked how they showed the comet. Um, I'm always the... fascinated by. The, the the entire episode wasn't ruined for you because the Enterprise had a big view screen and not a tiny little view screen? <laughs> no, it wasn't. Uh, maybe I didn't concentrate on that, but, um, you know, how the Farragut kind of, like, tries to avoid the Romulan ship and and how they're kind of in and out of the comet and there's the comet haze. Um, I will admit I have a bit of a fancy for, for comets ever since I tried to take pictures of uh, one of them two years ago, the one that visited us, and you can probably see it notch behind me in my uh, pretty uh, cool, pretty zoom cool background. So I, I liked all of that, um, and yeah, Bill, they stuck, they stuck to 
even the, the the way the plasma ball is generated and how it rolls you can yeah. just see more electric finer details in it but it's kind of the same thing um in the first one though they didn't have like disruptor weapons right like i didn't i don't remember if the romulan ship fired any green lasery things i don't think the romulan ship fired anything other than the fireball in that one um yep. and instead of and I don't know if the I haven't noticed in the rest of Strange New Worlds yet, but instead of the regular phasers that um, we've seen in later Star Trek, where it's like a continuous beam, mm. here the phasers are the phase cannons from Enterprise, which go which have bolts, which look more like the disruptor cannons from the Romulans and Klingons in later Star Trek. So I mean. Do you think they're going to change that um, in the future? Like they're going to stick with the, the the canon and keep it keep it continuous? Because I feel this is you know I don't know know much about science, but this feels much more efficient and realistic, right? Like, as opposed to like a continuous beam going. Yeah, I, I I have no idea. Also, I mean, there's the the element over here of the phase the phase cannons being like torpedoes, which like have like area of effect. Oh yeah, yeah. <laughs> In in the in the in the TOS one, right? Like yeah, yeah. it's like depth depth charges essentially. <laughs> exactly. And like there's stuff falling on the Romulans and balance of terror from the ceiling. <laughs> it's, it's, just like, like, it's like there's a really dusty bridge apparently. Like there's dust falling on them every time something happens. It it's like they're just like the commander in Outpost 4, like one mile underground somewhere and <laughs> the ceiling's unstable. Yeah, um, yeah. Hundred percent, hundred percent. But um, yeah, so I, I I think that this is what I was talking about before the break, where I think they brought in a few things from Canon that I think were best left in the 60s, like that, you know, the big the big red fireball. Like, why aren't all Romulan ships equipped with this like magic weapon, apparently? Uh, but but anyway, again, this is this is what this episode was. They were redoing Balance of Terror. So you just have to like set aside and compartmentalize. And I'm happy to do that. I, I do think Spock's eyebrow in the new one was better than the previous one because in the previous one, he just like, it's not one eyebrow. He does all eyebrows and he's like, yeah. ooh. And, and it's like, he, in this one, he does the eyebrow well. The, uh -huh. What's that? What's that guy? Um, uh, the Rock, right? Dwayne Johnson eyebrow? Yeah. Is that, is that? <laughs> <laughs> the people's eyebrow. The people's eyebrow. There you go. Uh, yeah, no, it's, it's cool. I, I, I did enjoy Ethan Peck's portrayal of that moment for sure. Also, by the way, the, the music from, um, Balance of Terror was there in this again. Again, we have another, uh, time when we have the same music being brought back from TOS, just like they had the, um, I think it was the Gorn music, uh, if I recall correctly, mm -hmm. or in, earlier in the show. Uh, but we had, uh, we had the Balance of Terror Romulan music and this one, I I will confess that I did like the new Romulan uniforms. Uh, also, it's hard mm. to see how they're related to the to the TNG Romulan uniforms, but they look a little bit more believable than the ones that they had in Balance of Terror. <laughs> uh, the Balance of Terror ones looked a little clown-like, uh, to be honest. It was too much color contrast and clash, and yeah. Also, the Balance of Terror Romulans talked like they were foreigners in like a 60s movie, like Centurion, Tell Fire Phasers or something like they were just talking about like broken English and they did not stick with that for this episode. That's good. 
Um, so, so, but you, you, I, I also thought that they looked like the Galaxy Quest Thermians, the Romulans in this. Um, did, did you, you didn't like the new Romulan commander as much? I felt, well, interestingly, I felt he had, you know, to quote you, less gravitas than the previous one. And in this case, I think maybe he needed it. Well, but it's different timelines, right? There's different, yeah. there's different results, right? So, in this one, you maybe feel a little more empathetic towards the one that that you know gets called by his own his own traitor, right? And therefore, right. a softer side is a little better. The other, the, the previous one in Balance of Terror is a little more battle hardened, and you know, therefore, more mature and averse to war. Um, but but in general, I I feel. I feel there was much more, um, like you said, there was much more forced intrigue and, and anxiety in, in the actual warfare in, the, in Balance of Terror, especially on the Romulan side. In this one, it was a little more, you know, casual and not like exaggerated, right? Not casual in a bad way. In the other one, they were just exclaiming through the whole thing, right? Um, mm -hmm. On the Romulan side. Yeah, I mean, the last one, it didn't... It really felt like the Romulans were more provocative than in this one. Although, I guess even in this one, they, were, they weren't they were kind of shy destroying the Farragut. So you can't really say that they were, they were particularly peaceful until Pike brought up the, the, the peace overture. Which, by the way, this is, this is the, I think, the most interesting thing about this episode. So, in Balance of Terror, Kirk really quickly buys the argument that we have to be warlike and we have to fight um, to to save ourselves and to prove to the Romulans that we will fight and so that they don't take our peace overture as weakness. It's the same thing from Discovery's we come in peace. Uh, <laughs> like, you know, the Klingons take that as weakness. Uh, it's the same thing, right? Like in this one. And the difference is that Pike chooses the path of peace and and mercy instead of of taking the path of terror and and uh fighting and it's and this is like a star trek ideal right like you, you know this is one of those things that you know in the utopian future everyone is more evolved so we we're always peaceful and we're always good and it comes to bite him in the butt it's it's exactly the wrong move so it's very interesting to me that star trek decided to um to put that out there and to say like we're gonna we're gonna have this guy like actually fail because he tried to be peaceful yeah that's um that's a tricky one uh i don't think again for a 60s show at that time they won't go into the details as much on it's, it's again very impulsive and they're dealing with a lot of things in in balance of terror like the bigotry towards spock and and submarine warfare and all of that so uh i i think at that point in time it it's like yeah, all these things considered, these guys are getting away, right? We have to mm -hmm. stop them. In trying to stop them, if we destroy them, so be it. But we can't let them get away because the, the, the stakes are higher. Um, and I think that makes sense. In this one, in, 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 in Equality of Mercy, um, I think Pike's solution is actually very, very well... Uh, it's, it's very... It's It's... It's well thought out. It's it's unique. I actually liked listening to what he was saying, um, because it wasn't yeah. it wasn't it wasn't empathy. 
it was it was essentially a delay tactic whatever you look at it right it was at at its core a delay tactic but it was a mechanism to try and find out romulan rules of engagement right updated rules of engagement how are they going to respond to something like this so in a sense um not that i would ever be in any of these positions i think but i would probably do what pike did if i had um the intellect to even come up with that at short notice i guess it's i mean i think that but but that's the episode's point right is that sometimes you have to be impulsive and take the the kind of tougher road where you where you fight and you 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 have to balance the carrot with the stick right you can't you can't always um your ideals have to be strategic strategically implemented to the outcome or to be focused on the outcome so you you can't like you, you always looking for peace is a good thing but if by doing that in this circumstance he actually created a larger war so i i'm with you i think i would be trying to find the peaceful solution but i think that's why we're not captain kirk right like and this is this is one of the other things about this episode i think it is retroactively coming to us to show us that kirk's impulsiveness and that his that he has qualities that make him a superior captain to pike in some regards that pike as great as he is and as much as we worship him his heart his inability sometimes to sacrifice or or to put his crew on the line can sometimes lead to to bad things as well so i i appreciated that about this episode is that it it basically tells us why pike and kirk are good in their own um in their own units but they aren't like you can't say like okay pike is just a better captain than kirk or something like that like kirk has qualities that make him effective in the situations that we've seen him right um just to, just to clarify my point of view was not that i like that pike was playing for peace my point of view was that pike put forth a de- put forth a method of communication that gave much more information about the romulans right you could have taken there was no guarantee at that point in time because I, I think the enterprise also had like like some some issues right so there was no guarantee that they could take out the uh, romulan ship at that point in time um maybe his peace overture of 2 hours was a little too long maybe knowing that they could fix stuff sooner they should have done 1 hour but it just gave a sense of how the romulans communicate right like so i i appreciated that part in getting more information um in the end i think i think the real difference in how either of them would have approached anything um is the argument that that uh, kirk and, and pike have right or kirk's like you hesitated you hesitated to take the shot you hesitated just a second or two but you hesitated and and if you hadn't right we would be in a much more irrespective of you to destroy them or not we could have been in a much more uh, favorable situation right in terms of balance yeah. of power so so and and there yes i agree pike hesitated because of whatever reason right like he was like hey maybe this is the guy i try to make peace with right the, the problem though is pike is burdened even though he is trying to do what he would have normally done independent of uh, foretold knowledge he is still burdened with that right Mm-hmm. Kirk doesn't know what the heck is happening. He's going into this brand new. So 
I wouldn't say one is better than the other, but it's like comparing apples and oranges, honestly, I feel. 100%, exactly. And I, but I think we have all been comparing the two of them since the start of the show. <laughs> They're like, wow, Pike is amazing. And, but I, so, so I think it, this, this episode did a good job differentiating the two of them. And I take, I take all of your other points um, very well. I was... I I had trouble with why the the like the fleet standoff part of this episode existed. I I, I don't know why. Mm. I mean, it was kind of cool to see Kirk bring in all those mining vessels, and of course the Romulans don't know what it looks like, but like what the Starfleet fleet looks like. Sure, okay, fine, whatever. But like, it didn't really serve to do anything. The outcome was the same. Like, ever uh, you know. Uh, at the end of the day, the Enterprise just had to like limp away, and I feel like we could have got that without that sequence. But anyway, we got some cool visuals, so maybe it's not worth complaining. The other thing that I'll take an issue with, and this is an issue with the balance of terror as much as this episode, I think it seriously strains credulity that nobody knows what the Romulans look like or what their ships look like. Like, absolutely, that is understandable in a in fourteen ep- or. Uh, when you're when you're like, um, fourteen episodes into the first season of a franchise, I don't think you can do that. Like, what what is like six hundred episodes or whatever it is in after that. Like, it's just not something that um, Inach, you can, you can say to. like it's possible. You know, it's so okay. It's eight hundred and fifty three episodes into a franchise. Um, so so that was another issue I had um with this with this episode. It works both ways, right? Like, I, I, it, it's ridiculous. Intelligence gathering sucks on both sides. The only way the Romulans can figure out if the Federation is strong or not is, like, to cross into the neutral zone, cross beyond the neutral zone, and attack a bunch of targets, right? You'd never have to do um, potentially, you know, switching from a cold to hot war kind of... Uh, civilizations or species trying that kind of stuff because you never know the consequences, right? Of of mm-hmm. retaliatory strikes. So that itself the, is is wrong in both the TOS version and this version. Um, and then yeah, there's there's ingenuity in Kirk bringing in like mining ships and somehow uh, is is Romulus generally closer to this part of the neutral zone than like population concentrations of the federation because it looked like on the map and then suddenly they had yeah. a ton of ships waiting there um if if that timeline were to go ahead right they're declaring on all subspace frequencies that war is on they should just take that fleet through right there's not they don't need to go back they have the advantage um yeah. so yeah that part that part bothered me but in general and i'd like to touch upon this uh you know since we're potentially going towards the end of this podcast um is is I really appreciate how people in positions of power, whether it's Pike or the Romulan commander, uh, are trying to, you know, and hopefully in the real world, I'm sure it exists, um, trying to stave off cataclysmic war because they are at the forefront of potentially pushing the trigger uh, mm-hmm. that starts something like this, right? Um, and I'd like to mention a few examples of that, um, both in 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 Hollywood um, or in, in TV shows and movies and in real life as well, right? We have the bad example of that is, is Dr. Strangelove, right? And how I learned mm-hmm. to love the bomb on how if somebody goes crazy and they're given enough power, they, they can basically force the hand of one whole side 
right? Um, because because the stakes of preemptive uh, attack are so high that if somebody goes and attacks on your behalf, you have to follow it through. And so if nobody's seen Doctor Strange, Love and How I Learned to Love the Bomb, especially in today's world, please go please go watch it. It's one of my favorite actors of all time, Peter Sellers. Uh, then you obviously have um, Crimson Tide with with Denzel Washington and and Ron Hunter being the XO. And you, you see that same dynamic here where in this case, the captain is the wiser one on the Romulan side, whereas the the second in command is is the boisterous kind, whereas in, in uh, Crimson Tide, it's the other way around where Gene Hackman is uh, kind of a little crazy and Denzel's trying to, uh, you know, have the voice of reason. It ties back to actually a, an event that happened during the Cuban Missile Crisis with one gentleman by the name of Vasily Akripov, right? Uh, uh-huh, I know the story. <laughs> A second-in-command guy on a Soviet nuclear sub who essentially um, didn't agree with his captain and the political officer to launch a nuclear torpedo, which could have just, you know, uh, we may not have been in the world today that we are in uh, if that had happened. Uh, there's a couple of others on the Russian side, a guy, um, I forget his first name, I think Petrov Stanislav, um, who... Uh, who didn't launch missiles at the U.S. because Soviet satellites detected a first Soviet launch. Sorry, the U.S. launch. This is in 1983, just a few months after the Soviets um, shot down the Korean airliner. Terrible tragedy. Um, and there's there's tons of other incidents, right, where people have have um, people in 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 power in in command have taken. Um, uh, the right decision and, and I hope they continue to do so for years to come because we all depend on them. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, it's kind of frightening to hear about these moments and there's probably been a few more which just nobody documented, right, uh, as well, where kind of the fate of our world kind of hangs in the balance. It's kind of ridiculous to 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 know that that happened. Um, I also did there's not actually- know, by the way, yeah, There's actually ahead. a couple I'd like to quickly go over in a few seconds later on, uh, which are quite comical. Um, but yeah, I'd like to, these are a little more serious, but there's a couple that were comical that could have gone really bad. Real events. Go ahead, go ahead. Let's talk about them. So um, in, um, in 1962, in, in October, during the Cuban Missile Crisis, uh, U.S. military planners expected, I'm, I'm paraphrasing reading off a Wikipedia article, U.S. military planners expected that sabotage operations might precede any nuclear first strike by the Soviet Union. So around the midnight of um, 25th of October, 1962, a guard at the Duluth Sector Direction Center, which is close to where you are, I think, Notch, saw a figure climbing a security fence. He shot at it and activated the sabotage alarm, which automatically set off similar alarms at different bases in the region. Uh, a faulty alarm system at Volkfield in uh, Wisconsin actually called a, caused a klaxon to sound as well, uh, which ordered Air Defense Command to to launch nuclear-armed F-106 interceptors into the air, um, the Delta-winged aircraft uh, that the U.S. Air Force had for a while. Um, the pilots had been told there will be no practice drill, so they were going to go through with their mission. Um, before the planes were able to take off, the the commander contacted Duluth and learned of the error. Um, apparently, there was a bear that was trying to climb the fence that was shot at. Um, and the way they stopped this is they weren't able to, they weren't able to contact the aircraft. So somebody literally like drove onto the runway and started waving at them and, and therefore they didn't take off. So 
um that's one incident um there are a few others this one took a little time to explain but yeah a bear could have caused nuclear uh, armageddon so so um we were close and 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 again thank you for all the people who continue to uh be in these positions and and um oh there was one more sorry i have to do this one uh, i okay. think we know about this uh notch because this is an important one um i think nixon ordered a nuclear strike because he was drunk and then kissinger called it off something to that effect that has happened i think it was in this in one of these close call um events um i don't remember when um but yeah um nixon ordered a nuclear strike order potentially preemptive strike and kissinger called it off huh really wow i did not know that but uh i can fully believe it um <laughs> Yeah, that's intense. Uh, well, I'm glad that in Balance of Terror, there is no nuclear strike uh, from the Earth. Uh, uh, Starfleet forces on Romulans, even though the Romulans detonate a nuclear device. Yeah. Which, by the way, if you want the most hilarious version of Screen Shake, uh, watch <laughs> when that nuclear device goes off, and especially keep an eye on Michelle Nichols in the back. She goes oh like, my God. she throws her hands up and goes from one end of the screen. Yeah, third like hits the wall and falls down. Well, <laughs> it's absolutely comical. The only thing that could have been more terrible is somehow the turbo lift door opened and she went through because she rolls across <laughs> that door. Yeah, <laughs> Luckily, seriously. Luckily, it doesn't happen. Well, um, get, getting back to a quality of mercy, I, I think the final pieces of that episode are interesting because really, again, we get kind of this... Um, Coda of like what happens, so they, they they have the thing. Whereas in the in the TOS episode, the groom dies. In the the SNW episode, the the bride dies instead. You also have Spock, um, not going to be able to make it, and Christine Chapel is like devastated by that. Um, so so we have kind of this this very interesting kind of coda. Followed by Kirk coming into Pike's office to have a drink with him, which I didn't really understand, like, the, uh, kind of why that <laughs> didn't happen at some other point in this episode. It was kind of a, a weird tonal shift for me. But um, that's finally the point at which we go back to the past. Um, and we're able to, to get the actual cliffhanger of this episode, which... I, I really cheered up, actually, at the end of this episode where they're playing that song and Pike is walking across around the bridge, like, appreciating his crew. I I was... It was... It was... It really was a very moving moment for me. And I I think, like, it's... it's it kind of underscored how effective Strange New Worlds has been at establishing this on the on-screen chemistry for their cast... Uh, as well so I I really I I thought if they just ended the season there I would have been very happy but of course we got that final scene where Una is taken away by Captain Battle and the security guards yeah well they had to do that right because otherwise that would have been um uh, an open thread where like Lan tells Pike when they first meet right like Una's out of contact and we can't contact her I was like what happened there uh, oh by the way um I think they pronounce it as Battelle, like Patel. Is that is is, is that really? they, yeah, I think so. I, I haven't I don't remember Be, actually. Because I got confused and I was like, wait, there's there's a Patel? Um, um but no, it was a Patel. <laughs> Captain um, Patel, played by the same actress, Melanie Scorpion. <laughs> 
it would it would fit your accusations of how they don't get that yeah. right. But, um, I um, I thought they would. I actually thought I'm moving just to the right to the, the last part. I thought Pike would do something crazy there. Like I thought that he would try and rectify that timeline because I didn't know if there was going to be a cliffhanger or not. I thought he would try and rectify that timeline and defend Una and keep her on the ship somehow and say, let's talk through it. Um, he's obviously going to do something terrible to Battelle in the first episode of the next season. I mean, it's coming, right? Yeah. Like, uh, I don't know if he's going to shoot her, but something, something relationship ending or friendship ending is going to happen, I feel. I, I think, like... It's interesting because we haven't heard much about their relationship. We've just got insinuations, right? Like they had dinner twice and like she's in his quarters having a, a meal with him and being very casual. So like the insinuation is that they just hooked up or something, but we don't know that for certain. We don't really know what they're like, how long they've been friends or what. We don't, we don't know anything about them. Um, and she's very businesslike in the end there where she's like, I don't want to do this either, but I have to. Um so it's going to be interesting to see what they do, whether this is the end of the road for Una as well. I hope not, because I've really enjoyed Rebecca Roman as part of this cast. Um, we also don't... We see La'an in the alternate timeline, but we don't see her here. So we do know that she returns to Starfleet at some point. So presumably she's going to be in the next season, but we don't get her as part of the crew in the main episode. Um, it was... I think overall, just kind of speaking in conclusion i think this was in for me this was an okay season finale it was a decent episode it was kind of a very mediocre season finale <laughs> uh, and i i feel bad saying that because i feel like there are going to be a lot of people who really truly love this episode for what it does to balance of terror i don't have sentimental feelings about the original series so i in fact i'm pretty brutal about it so like i feel like i didn't have that kind of it didn't tug the heartstrings as such for me um so so yeah, I I I I think it was fine. Let's put it that way. Yeah, yeah, sure. Um did we want to just do ratings and and Sure, yeah, why why don't you tell me your ratings? Yeah, so I'll, I'll talk about the episode and what I felt and we'll just give a rating at the end of it. Um I don't disagree one bit with what you said in terms of um, you know, a season finale being strong. I never really expected i was not looking for that uh, so i think by itself it was a good episode um in in paying homage to i think one of the better episodes of dos uh in balance of terror um in terms of hide and seek warfare and and the costs of all-out war that that stuff always gets me um and, and we saw that here as well i didn't i was i am worried i was and i am a little bit worried about how they may you know, downplay Pike's fear of the future now because he's set and comfortable because he knows he's giving Spock a chance and everybody else a chance and the future is greater than him and um, all that. So hopefully that doesn't happen too much. Um, so all things considered, I, I didn't like the the Romulan Praetor and this like terrible nastiness and evil, right, on the, the other side. Right. Uh, in, in in balance of terror, they don't show anybody else, and there is respect for the enemy, even though the enemy is committed, uh, preemptive mm -hmm. strikes. Right. There's respect for the enemy. Enemy here, there doesn't seem to be as much. Uh, maybe that's the world we live in, and things are different. Um, so that part I didn't like. So 
on balance, I would, I would give it, um, I'd give it nine, uh, disintegrating outposts out of 10. <laughs> nine disintegrating outposts. I like it. Um, I have one other last point, which is, so the quality of mercy was the name of, of the, 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 this episode, of course, but also from, from the, the Shylock, uh, or the Portia monologue from the Merchant of Venice mm. that I read earlier, but there's also an episode of the Twilight Zone, a quality of mercy aired mm. in 1961 that starred Leonard Nimoy. So, uh, oh, so it's cool. kind of a little bit of a very deep cut there on, uh, on the, on the title as well. Well, Rudy, anything else you wanted to say about this episode before we end here? Um, you, you have to give your rating, I think. And I just have one I, point before that. Oh, that's right. That's right. I haven't, I haven't given my rating. <laughs> Go ahead. But before that, yeah, I've, I did a quick read and I found out uh, the, the Nixon situation. Uh, Nixon wanted to order uh, a nuclear airstrike on the Democratic People's Republic of Korea. Uh, the bombs were loaded onto F-4 jets. Um, they were ready on the run. They were going to take off. Uh, reportedly, reportedly, um, President Nixon was under the influence of alcohol when he gave the order. The order to stand down was given on advice of Secretary of State Henry Kissinger. This was in 1969. Got it, got it. Um, I will give this episode a 7.5 out of 10. And I, I think it's... Like I said, it's it's a decent episode. I didn't like love it or anything, but I, I I'll watch it again happily. And I I do think it. I wanted more emotional impact out of a season finale, and to have a season finale that takes place mostly in the future was just a little bit iffy for me because that future didn't tell us a lot of very compelling information about our season our series regulars unlike some of the other season finales that have taken place in a, in an alternate timeline in the future there's like more character stuff here we just had like ortegas being angry the whole time and benga uh, advocating for uh peace but that seemed more like they were doing that just because the tos characters did yep. that rather yep. than anything else so exactly anyway anyway all right well um Thanks, Rudy, for for joining me to talk about this episode. I was I was excited to come back to the podcast and talk Star Trek again. So glad we got to do it. And I think you were right about kind of this having this like little bit of military background helping our conversation. Yeah, thanks, Notch. It was it was exciting. Yeah, and thank you, Adam and Emily and Bill, uh, for hosting the or, or for being on our past shows when I wasn't able to make it. Thanks, Max and Diner. Hope you're all having a good time wherever you all are and whatever it is y'all are doing. And thank you to your listener for making time for us in your week. We know you have many options for what you listen to, and it it really makes us happy that you choose to make Strange New Takes part of your your listening routine. And uh, also thank you just to Guha for recording our theme music. We always appreciate that you, uh, you, you strummed away on the guitar and recorded the Klingon theme for us. And then finally, special thanks to that rogue Romulan guy for calling in the fleet. If he hadn't done that, nothing bad would have happened. And then Pike wouldn't have learned this like dual lesson about messing with history, about like, you know, acting and not hesitating. So like, really, like that's the guy we really need to thank here. So, so I'm going to do it. So special thanks to that dude. All right, everyone. See you next week for the Strange New Takes season recap. Bye. Thank you. Bye.